Hello, and welcome to episode 95 of Just Keep Writing. A podcast for writers. Bye, writers. To keep you writing. I'm Marshall. I'm Nick. I'm Brent. And I'm Will. Gentlemen, it's been a month. We're back. Uh, What's happening? How's everybody doing? We all right? I think it's been like three months since we've been it's together. It's been and one recorded. month since we released an episode. Come on, keep the keep the reality alive, dude. Um, <laughs> no, no, the point is we're all back and, and we're excited. It's been a heck of a summer. So uh, let's dive right into it. I'm going to pass it over to Will. He's going to um, throw out our topic for the week, unless we want to do a quick check-in first. How are you feeling about that? Uh, we can do a quick check-in. How's everybody doing? Dude, I'm crazy. We started crazy. school. I've been going, going, going for three weeks straight. I'm coaching football. I'm writing a book. I don't even know what I'm doing anymore. Hmm. Writing life. Yeah. I like it. Marshall? Dad dad life. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm gearing up, doing the same thing. I'm back to work tomorrow. Got students next week. I got to write a novel, take some classes, do some stuff. Uh, but I'm, I'm excited to see what the year year brings. I'm, I'm, I'm really stoked to work, uh, to write this book. So that's keeping me going. Brent, I'm a little bit of the opposite. I no dad life here. So um, I've actually, <laughs> my summer's actually been a lot of fun. Uh, I've been <laughs> like, you know, music festivals, going out, partying, all that kind of stuff. So, I mean. As a side effect, I probably haven't been doing as much like writing and reading as I should. But uh, I think part of writing is living, too. So I've been definitely doing that. Can like we just that. comment how incredible your arms look right now? You look amazing. For for those missing the feed, oh, Brent's I've been working out cut right now. I've been working out pretty hard, too. So, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, how you doing? Great. Living no, life. No, 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 no. What? Try, try again. How you doing, Will? Great. I'm great. I went to a sex party last night. It was a lot of fun. I got my monkeypox vaccination. That was really good. Nice. Uh, I'm li- glad you got it. I'm living the dream, everyone. Living the dream. I'm glad you got it. I just wanted a couple more details, you know? Sometimes people want to know. Um, okay, who's, whose dream are you living, though? Right? Because it's I certainly mean, not my right. dream. Please. <laughs> I'm, li- I'm, I'm living the homosexual dreams, okay? <laughs> Speaking of dreams, uh, what do you got for us this week, Will? Since it's been a minute, uh, we got it. We're we're gonna do some stuff. What you got? Um, I wonder if we're gonna get feedback about what I said. Anyway, Probably, um, but it's fine. We we've kept it real on this show many many times. So. Dude, our audience rocks. What are they gonna say? I don't know. Um, plot versus structure. That's what we're gonna talk about today. And um. I brought this up because this actually came up um, doing something fun with my writing group. Uh, We're kind of creating our own MFA program. And there's been like, uh, this actually came from one of my cohorts, RJ, who's just amazing. And we read this really great article and we'll put it in the show notes. And it really made me think a lot about my book and my work. And it also made me lead to, having Brent had to call me because maybe I should have changed something, which he talked to me off of a ledge, which was really great. Thanks, Brent. <clears throat> oh, was that happening last night when I couldn't jump on? Or was that yeah. night before? Mm-hmm. I can't remember. Yeah, I was like, I was like, am I making sense? And he <laughs> assured me, you're not crazy. So. But this is what writing communities are for. It's very important. Yes. Yeah. But every time I kind of talk about my, you know, you know when you're just so used to not being around writers, and then you're trying to tell them what your story's about, and then you're like, "Are you even listening? Or is this? Are you into this? Am I making sense? That type of thing." Because I mean, on my day to day, I work with everyone in fashion, so it's always about like, "Oh my god, did you see what Kim K did?" Um, so <laughs> let's go into plot versus structure, um, and I am gonna start off. Um, read this really great article that we'll put in the show notes. And it really made me think about the differences and how we can play with them. So the first part is plot is what happens. And most times it's chronological structure is the particular way the writer chooses to present the events to the reader. Structure is about the presentation of the plot 
when we change the structure, it can force changes in the plot, but isn't always required. So in a multi-viewpoint version, the structure may not change what actually happened, but since everyone's version of what happened is different, each viewpoint essentially presents a different plot. And all of us are, um, I'm going to throw this out to the group as we go through my little first example um, of just examples of just like a general chronological plot and then how could you like reinverse it. So the example is Disney's Cinderella. So the chronological Disney order, um, Cinderella's evil stepmother treats her as a servant and forbids her going to the ball. Cinderella finds a way to go anyway, with or without assistance, depending on version. She fascinates the prince. She leaves a token, which is the glass slipper. Accidental or on purpose, it depends on the version, but let's go with the Disney version. She forgot her, you know, her glass slipper kind of like fell. The prince searches for her, uses the token to identify her, and sweeps off to marry her. That's the structure, and that's the structure in chronological order right? So what if we changed it? What if we open up with Cinderella? I'm just going to call her Cindy. Cindy arrives home just as her bulb gown uh, changes back into rags. Then we have a flashback scene of her appearance at the ball, which is fascinating the prince. Then we go back to the story present. News arrives that the prince is going house to house to search for the mystery girl. Then we go to a flashback scene to the fairy godmother providing Cindy with a gown, slippers, and coach. I really always wanted to be Cinderella, just letting everyone know. (laughs) Um, Back in the story present, the prince arrives with the slipper, but the stepmother locks Cinderella in the cellar so she won't have a chance to try it on. Then we go to a flashback scene to the stepmother's refusal to let Cinderella go to the ball. Back in the story present, Cinderella escapes from the cellar, tries on shoe, and leaves and marries the prince. Flashback scene to the stepmother's change in attitude from doting to cruel following funeral of Cindy's father. The end. Okay. So that just gives you like one example of how structure can kind of it changes it's not in chronological order but it also can like give you maybe a little bit more tension by not doing it in chronological order and i also have to say as you know like all of the writing advice we always hear you know flashbacks are really hard you know to do you shouldn't do them as a as a beginning writer but i don't always believe that i think it just depends on you know how good you're going to be at your craft sometimes how good your editor is we know who that we're talking about. Um, so does anyone have any examples that you can think of, of structure and how you would reinverse that structure? Bren. Well, okay. So I've, I, I have an example to show like how boring something would be if it has structures, chronological structure. Ooh, even better. So, so one of my favorite TV shows is how to get away with murder. One of my all time favorites. And it is a masterclass in, how to use structure to create a tension, even in what would what would be maybe a mediocre plot. So, like the first season, the first season, I'm gonna I'm gonna tell it to you in um, the way that I'm gonna try to remember most of it for the most part how the structure went, and then I'm gonna tell you chronologically. So, first season, very first episode. You see these college kids partying. They're partying in the woods. They're having a good time. They're trying to, but they're obviously stressed out about something. They're trying to hide a body. You don't see the body's face. Then flash forward, well, flash back uh, a few months earlier. These same kids are just starting college. They're just starting law school, and they meet this professor, Professor Annalise Keating. Very charismatic, you know, very enthralling character. And... You, you get to you get to know her. You get to see her interact with these students. She creates this competition between them, and you meet her husband. And you're slowly introduced to every character at the through the show. And then at the very end, it flashes forward again to the future where these kids are trying to hide this body, and you see the 
at the very end of the episode, the body drops and you happen to see the face of Annalise's husband, the the professor that they all are so enthralled by and so trying to earn the loyalty of. And immediately that creates tension because you're like, well, what the hell happened? <laughs> like, how did they how did we go from them adoring this woman to them killing her husband? Now, if you had if you had did it chronologically and you started off with these kids going to law school, uh, meeting the, meeting this professor, falling for him, finding out that the professor was actually a murderer and he killed this woman and so on and so forth. If you had found everything out chronologically in the beginning, it wouldn't have been any different than, I don't know, like your common thriller. And you may not have been invested in the characters. You may not have been invested in... in um necessarily why because you would already know like oh well the guy deserved it like he deserved it he killed someone but in that first episode you don't know why he deserved it you don't know what happened you're just like fuck this guy was this innocent college professor how the fuck did he get killed and and so by leaving by playing with the timeline and the structure in this case you create mystery you create tension you leave people wanting to know fill in the gaps and so, um, yeah, I, I know I poorly explained the first episode, but it, it, if, if you haven't watched it, you have to watch that show because it is one of the best examples, I think, of using structure. And it does it every single season of using structure to make um, to make the plot like even more powerful as you're working through it. Yeah, I mean, because when you think of how to uh, how, with murder, it's like even when they started off in the next season, like flashing back, it does not get old. Mm-mm, like no. it really just increases all the tension. And yeah. you, you start to see the different plays of the characters as, yeah. as each episode goes on. That's I like think season two does it even better. Cause season two is like a few, it's like two fuses on the opposite end. So season two, you start off in the very beginning, you hear Annalise get screaming. No. And she gets shot. No idea who shot her. And then you jump forward to the present where that is slowly like in both timelines slowly as each episode gets by, you learn a little more about the night. You learn a little more about like, what the fuck happened? How did she get shot? And it's just, mm-hmm. just fused, this fuse coming together on both ends. And it, it's just really powerful. Like how they, and I'm, I, I'm, it's one of the few things that like one of the few shows that actually surprised me. Like usually I watch TV and I can like, yeah, I can kind of figure out where this is going. I never could with that show. Yeah, that's really good. Um, you know, I'm going to start off with Nick because he had his hand up first. Nick? Yeah, so kind of an example that comes to the top of my head is uh, The Time Traveler's Wife. If it is told in chronological order, this is my point of view that I do not judge the rest of us for it, but if you do it in chronological order, um, Henry's a pedophile. <laughs> You're not wrong. I mean, so, it, yeah, you're not wrong. You like a groomer. Yeah. It, think about it. If you tell it in chronological order from the point of view of his wife, future wife, he's a pedophile. He's he's targeting her, things like that, right? So I think the story really works because it's it's not told in chronological order from any point of view. That's it's told so from a very it, it's told from the the first point of view of when adult Henry meets her, but she's already met him and it yeah. starts there. And so we get flashbacks and fast forwards in it and it works. Um, Cause if you chronologically, that story becomes a lot darker. Oh, like, so, a so, lot so dark. Darker. So dark. That, <laughs> so that this is actually a discussion we had as part of our MFA program, right? Like, is it a romance? And there is very valid arguments that Henry was grooming her from the very beginning once he met her that first time. Um, so, like, there's a lot of thought process. The A question. Ah, oh, that's so. It, that, that's really good example there because I'm over here like thinking because it's like, would he have talked to her as a child if he mm-hmm. didn't already know he was going to talk to her as a child? Like, if she hadn't have provided him that bit of information beforehand, would he have? Would he have ever spoken to her? Would he have been like, "Oh, this is a kid. Let me get the hell away." Right. That's well, so then I question. It's very. Oh. I, there, there's a lot to question. Like once you kind of rearrange it and timeline it, you're like, oh, 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 that's weird. Okay. Uh, so and there is a timeline out there. If I can find it again, I'll, I'll post it in the show notes. But that was my example that came to my head. 
That's a great, ex- another great example. I mean, you two are just blowing out the doors with these examples. Marshall, can you follow up? <laughs> no, uh, I can't. But I have a, a counter question a bit because I, I'm, I'm, I'm curious because all the examples in my head are around certain genres, right? So like, like mysteries, for example, like um, have either of you, have any of you seen the show After Party? No, I haven't. Or, no, I, I have a line. No. Okay. Or <laughs> kidding. You chucklehead. Um, so after party is really interesting because we're talking about POVs, right? And we're talking about so everything that happens happens in one night. And and you're throwing out there in your example, Will, with the flashbacks, which I find really interesting. And you would have to do that if everything happens in one night for multiple POVs. You have to have backstories from these other things in order to develop this mystery. Right. Um, the brilliance of After Party is that it's the same, it's the same thing, but not the same thing every time from a different POV, and it works really freaking well. Um, the other thing I was thinking about was only murders in the building. Um, which is if anybody has seen that, the structure of it, it's a it's the structure of it is a is friends in the present tense doing a podcast, which is brilliant. But at the same time, it's Martin Short and um, Steve Martin and um, uh, what's her name? Selena she's, Gomez, right? Oh, Selena Gomez. She's brilliant. They're they're phenomenal together. But the crazy thing is, is the framework, the structure of it is we want to do a podcast about this murder that's happening. And we're currently trying to solve it. But like we only know what they know at any given point. And so the the chronologicalness of it starts to deteriorate, especially when you get into certain POVs when people don't remember certain things. So I just think it's really interesting to kind of play with. The plot is pretty straightforward. Okay, someone did a thing, and then you know, then you're solving the thing. And if you're talking about a mystery, that genre, that makes a lot of sense. But how can you play with that structure to make it really interesting and intriguing? Keep the reader guessing along with the characters because that's what they do really well in only murders in the building is the viewers are guessing right along with the with the main characters which is which is brilliant and of course amazing actors and 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 stuff like that but maybe you should watch more tv get less of a get less of a life will i want this for you one day one day Okay. I mean, I don't know how to follow up from those three amazing examples. So I don't. I'm going to move on to the next part of um, Cindy. So let's think about the same story of Cindy, Cinderella, everyone, if you're just catching us, um, but opening in the middle of the plot and alternating present and past scenes. The structure emphasizes emotional connections and recurring motifs. By ending with the flashback of the story's beginning, the author can imply that perhaps the marriage to Cindy is off. It might not be a happily ever after. The events are the same, but changing the structure by reading the scenes changes the implication. So we talked about, um, it's interesting is that a lot of the, uh, what Brent and Marshall mentioned were mysteries, Right. And then what um, Nick uh, brought us with was a romance time travel story. And both genres have very clear expectations, promises to the reader. Exactly. Now, I can think of a book, not a, a, a show off the top of my head that played with different viewpoints and that really the way the structure was with going into the present of murders to the past was six weeks by Murr Lafferty. Oh yeah. Because we're each questioning which clone did it. And as we go from the present, we know that there's murders been, then then we keep going to the past of each of the characters and how it makes us question each of those characters. Probably in, when I remember reading it up until about like the last two chapters, then I was like, I think I figured this out, but it was really done well. Cause there was a few red herrings in it. So if anyone wants a book as an example, I would say that, but I think also another great series, because we are talking about like, I'm using Cindy as a example, um, Gregory Maguire, 
who wrote Wicked and Son of a Witch and all of these other like flipped up subversive fairy tales is a really great example of how he's changing viewpoint and structure. Um, Nick, you had something to offer. I did. I'm looking over here at my bookshelf and one I that it. I actually, I liked, I haven't finished the series though. It is a book series where it kind of does flip with that. Uh, not a f- flashback and going back and forth, right. And giving a look into the past to foreshadow the future. Right. Uh, and Kim Jennison, uh, the broken empire, the shattered Earth empire. Oh my God. I can't remember the name of it. I'm going to say this fifth season. Let's yeah. start with book one because I have finished that one. POV swap. There's a really well done POV in second um, second character. I can't even, I'm not even saying the right words. Second person. Second person. I know what you mean. Thank second you. person. Second person that's done really, really well to help foreshadow and, and, and things like that. Um, so I think that goes right along with what you're saying. I'm right there. Yeah, I love that. So let's talk about um, Cinderella as a multi-viewpoint structure. Each viewpoint could present a different, entirely plausible view of Cinderella. We did a viewpoint from, say, um, her stepmother. She's a spoiled brat. We do a point of view through, say, one of the townsfolk, someone who knew Cinderella, who could have been an ordinary girl, unhinged by grief, who is both clever, manipulative, and slightly competitive with her stepsisters. Another viewpoint could be, say, from, you know, the um, town um, holy person, where they think of Cinderella as a sweet, helpful, innocent. Or it could be done through, you know, the town, you know, gossip, where they view Cindy as a mysterious and intriguing unknown. You know, um, then we could also uh, see from her stepsisters or maybe, you know, people who are her age, that she's a conniving social climber. That now that her dad's dead, that um, blonde bitch just isn't getting everything that she wants anymore. And people think she's a social climber. We all know those people. (laughs) Um, don't judge me. Um, and you know, each of those viewpoints, if we took them together, could be built upon, um, another, and maybe that could even give us like maybe even somewhat of an unreliable, um, narrator. If one of those viewpoints, you know, was done in uh, first person, because right now we're just thinking it could be third person limited, but what if it was first person mixed in with third person? And I think of, um, the way Maurice um, Broadus played with Sweep of Stars about how there was some in second person, some in first person, some in third person. It's a really great way to play with structure, but the overall plot is still touching down on everything. Uh, Marshall, you had something to offer. I do. Uh, This is something. So right now where I'm at currently, and Nick is in the same position a bit. We're in the, last stages of, of outlining um, and prepping to write a book. Now this outline has been uh, um, workshopped and we've taught, have these conversations. What I want to, what I'm throwing out there and what I like about what you just went through was trying to help folks who are sitting down to write that book. Maybe they have an outline. How do you make, how do you make these decisions? Right? So, for example, if I decided I wanted to do a retelling of Cinderella and me and, you know, I'm going to write this story of Cindy, what POV do I choose? Like, um, what do you think? And I'm throwing this out to everybody. When do you, not when do you have to make that decision, but when do you commit to that decision? Right. When do you say, okay, I'm going to write this in third person. I'm going to write this in, you know, omniscient. I'm going to write this in second person, which, in my opinion, when Nick says anybody says second person, it drives me nuts. I can't take it. I didn't read the fifth season for that reason. Honestly, I have a really hard time with second person. So when do you make those decisions and, and, and when does it make sense to commit to those decisions? Right. I think that's an excellent question and I'm going to go first and then I'll go to Nick and then I'll go to Brent. Um, 
I actually <laughs> had a plot thing where I um, was on a frantic call and I said, Brent, do I go back and change things um, now? And I think sometimes you don't have a plan, right? Something happens that you're writing and maybe you wrote yourself in a corner and you think of something and that doesn't happen right away. Um, you know, for my novel that I'm finishing up, it was not, it was third person limited through this one character and it just, I, I was afraid to do a multi-viewpoint thing and I kept fighting it because I kept hearing like, oh, if it's your first book or like, I wouldn't do that, like it would be too much. And the bottom line is, is like, I have to try it. And I had to remember, um, you know, speaking of uh, N.K. Jemison, when she would always say, there's no wasted words. You know, you're, it's only going to make your story that better if you take out, even if you wrote all those viewpoints in later on and you had to take them out. It's only going to inform your story more because Brent brought something up to me um, last night or the night before of saying that, like, you're not really going to know until one of my characters, like, reveals something. So just keep going with the momentum of writing and make notes you know, which we'll touch base on also in future episodes. Um, you know, so I think that's, you know, one aspect. Maybe you don't you don't get to choose. Maybe you just have to write it. Um, Nick. So, call this a pitch, call whatever you want it, but I've actually taken the story of Cinderella and reworked it as a dark fantasy mystery. From the viewpoint of an unreliable narrator of Cinderella who's going through grief and is possessed by demons and is now exacting her own revenge. So, following some of the questions that Marshall has... Um, Sounds like my mom. <laughs> when do you decide certain things, right? Um, it, it, in a story, I think genre takes a really big precedence there. What's the current expectation of readers? There's a difference, like we already pointed out, you know, time travel romance versus mystery versus fantasy. There are different reader expectations, so I think that has to be considered into what you're trying to do. Um, the other part that I wanted to talk about, too, is, you know, what kind of story are you trying to tell and what are you going for, right? So in A Dark Fantasy with Cinderella, I want an unreliable narrator. And so I'm going to be able to set that up best through first person, right? So that chooses the POV for me. Now I'm working through that. Now, let's say I want people to know that this is an unreliable narrator. So I'm going to throw in other POVs of different characters in third person to see that main character as they really are. But when we get back to that person's head, we get something different. And so I think a lot of that, I you know, genre, what story you're trying to tell are they like the first thing, two things I would look at and then look at structure and what do I want to do? to my reader what what kind of story am i trying to tell to them like where where are my points in which i want to you know turn the tables on or do a big reveal like and how do i do that thoughts i want to go to brent next but i want to say something that's really interesting because you're right you have to know your genre but when we look at gregory mcguire you know gregory is not put in fantasy in the bookstores and marketed he's considered literary so my food for thought is do you think about those genres only if you are already a genre writer and that's how you're going to be grouped as because what do you do when you're someone like gregory mcguire margaret atwood um who are in my opinion they're they're science fiction and fantasy and speculative, right? But they're grouped as literature. So is that people who are reading uh, literary uh, fiction or mainstream fiction, are they going to have the same expectations as genre readers? Can I devil yeah. advocate that one right there? Yeah, work it out. Yeah, so I think some of that happened post-publishing. I think they were grouped and lumped into those issues and things were picked up, not at the intention of the writer. 
I, th- I think well, a conversation I, wanted to happen, but I don't think they went into it saying, I'm going to be literary fiction. I'm going to write this. Because often literary yes. fiction will pull fiction and claim it as their own. Yes, but I don't think, learned. I think there's a difference in, I mean, if you ask me, like Nora Jemison, she can be considered literary as far as I'm concerned. So can Ursula Le Guin, you 100%. know, like, they're, they're, the language that they use in those stories are hands down beautiful, you know, and the way they do um, word gymnastics, that's, you know, that's what I like to call it because they're, they just, they're just so lush and evocative and powerful. Um, I don't think, and I, and don't quote me it. I don't, I don't know this for sure, but I don't think Margaret Atwood ever once thought of herself as a genre writer. You know, um, but I mean that we would have to turn to the author too. Um, Brent, what are your thoughts about everything we're discussing? Um, it's complicated. Um, I think, <laughs> with, yeah, no, I think with, uh, I feel like so many of those barriers with genre and literary are so arbitrary for most things. But um, I, I mean, I think. Yeah, I, th- I, I think a lot of times it's like, it almost feels like, <laughs> it feels like there's, there's, there's definitely borders, but they're not as well guarded as like we tend to think they are. Like, you know, there's borders, but you, yeah, I think we're able to freely travel a bit more across them than people tend to think we can. But, um, I guess for, I guess for my part in trying to figure out like when or when to commit to something is, when I understand for myself how I want someone to feel once they once they're into the story, once they're reading the story, what what kind of feeling am I wanting them to pull from? It, right? Do I want them to feel like this world is massive and expansive and it's an epic place where there's probably a thousand other stories happening? If I want that, then multi points of view is probably one of my easiest tools to make people feel that because. That is a quick way to make people feel like the world is so much larger than it actually is. Not to say that's the only way you can create that feeling, but that is one way you can do it. Um, do I want someone to feel uh, an intense closeness that's almost uncomfortable with the story? Well, a second person point of view can do that because it's making you feel like you're in the skin of a character in a way that not every reader likes. So that, that you know, so are do I or do I want it to feel kind of whimsical and like a fairy tale almost omniscient can be good for that. So I think it for me at least it's thinking about like what do I want the reader or the viewer or whatever to get out of it. Like for instance with How to Get Away with Murder bringing it up again that show always left me feeling like on the edge of my seat like what the fuck and left me trying to put the pieces of the story together on my own with clues. Right. So that's why that structure works because it puts you in a place as the, as the viewer where you were trying to pinpoint the mystery. You're trying to figure out where it was happening beforehand. And the show did that well by leaving so much unanswered with its structure. So I think it's all about for me, at least for my money is um once I figure out, how I want the reader to feel once they are in the thick of it with my story. That's when I can kind of choose what kind of structure or point of view or both I want to kind of roll with. Yeah. So have you, um, have each of you thought about structure and plot as being separate? Because when we brought this to my writing group, um, there was a lot of, there was a couple people that were like, Oh, I always thought they were hand in hand, but reading that article kind of made them like flip it and start to understand of, you know, how, what plot is and how you can use structure to kind of change things and change the tension. Um, Marshall. Yeah. I, I think about this sometimes, especially because I, I watch a lot of TV and stuff, but like, uh, I mean, the plot, I think about them separately because especially I feel like in the last, you know, decade or more, 
people have been, been able to play with structure so much more, especially when you talk about TV and movies and, and stuff like that. And, and of course, uh, books as well. And I, and I, and I'm going back to really quick before I get too, you know, sidetracked, but what Burton was saying, the uh, traveling across the literary lines, I think is worth acknowledging because I think that's, I, I butted up against that quite a bit, you know, 20 years ago, but now it's like, I think that has a lot to do with pop culture and where things are in bookstores and the intention of the seller and the conventions and the, and the, and the narrative around the work too. Right. Um, but I guess, I guess what I'm trying to say is the way I look at plot versus structure is the structure for me is I always think in my head, the frame of it, like the container of it, like, okay, so I have a plot, like, like I've got all this, like these things are going to happen from here to here. Right. But like, how am I packaging it? You know what I mean? And like, that's kind of how I look at it. Um, like that essay I was telling you about that I wrote, like the frame of it is around like a vacation, but like in between the sandwich that I made is like questions of, of bigotry and, and race and stuff like that. But the framework is, you know, happiest place on earth, Disneyland, psh, you know, kind of packaged in with that. Does that make sense? So like, I, yeah. I kind of look at it that way. I think it, for me in my head, that makes more sense than being like trying to differentiate in a different way because it's how you're packaging it and how you're presenting it is the structure of it. The plot is there because you've constructed it already in order to write the piece, right? Yeah. There, there are a couple, but there are a couple that can't get dressed without each other. Yeah. So they, the, the structure has to tell plot. Well, you need to put on that black jacket and plot has to tell structure. Those shoes do not go with the outfit. Change them. Like they're, <laughs> they, 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 they're separate, but they have to work in unison. I like that. 100%. For them to both be effective. I like that analogy. I like that one. Um, Nick, do you have anything you want to um, add? I'm going to just kind of piggyback in off what these, well, you three fine gentlemen have already said. Like, they go hand in hand. Plot is the story that you want to tell and structure is how you tell it. I think I've always looked at them separate, but not intentionally. I think it's just something naturally I've just done is hey, this is a story I want to tell. This is how I want to do it. These are the cool things I'm going to get there and accomplish that. This is how I'm going to do my reveal and show you this and that. And so I think I think people look at it as one and the same because you're doing both at the same time, but they really are two separate things. When yeah, and sometimes you, like you need, sometimes you need to purposely think about the structure of the way you're delivering information and how you can, you know, increase it and make it better. Go ahead, Marshall. Yeah. I was just thinking too, um, some of the more, I don't want to say modern, um, cause it's happening for a long time, but like one of the kind of fun ways to play with that structure is breaking that fourth wall. Right. It's like when a character turns to the camera or a character, you know, starts talking directly to the reader, that's a structure, right? That's a way of delivering the plot. And that goes along with your unreliable narrator, Nick, and everything else. Like, you know, I don't know if anybody watches Fleabag or anything like that. It's like when she turns the camera and all of a sudden she's saying stuff, it's like, oh crap, I'm, am I part of this? What's going on? Like, I see what's happening, but also like now she's talking to me and that's, that's tripping me out. So that's part of that structure delivery vehicle, I guess. Nick. Yeah, well, Marshall, I kind of want to bring it back to school a little bit and over our residency and kind of talk yeah. individually, right? We just went through this where we we had a proposal. We started writing outlines and stuff like that. You had a big change with one of your characters. It, not even plot related, but it was structure related, was it not? Can you kind of talk about that a little bit and like what made you decide on that? Yeah, there's a couple things. Well, in the first draft... I had six or seven POVs and that's because I'm, and like Brent was saying, I wanted to show the scope and I need to be in these places. And so that's how, you know, what I'm used to as far as, you know, reading epic fantasy and stuff like that, you go into these characters heads and you're somewhere else. And that's part of the deal. 
Um, so one of the things I was kind of hanging on to, you're talking about the monarchy thing, right? Yeah. So, um, one of the things I was kind of holding on to was this idea of like, there was this monarchy involved with this, you know, futuristic space opera I was writing. And it just, it, I was trying to make it work. And my professor was like, so what's the purpose of it? Do you need it? Like essentially ask me that in more than once in a couple of different ways. Um, and some of the feedback was like, wait, this is, I want the plot to be a certain way, but the delivery of this doesn't have to be this way. It actually makes more sense to do it in a different way. Um, as far as the world building goes. So instead of a monarchy, now it's a corporation, which makes so much more freaking sense. But again, I plotted this out in my head and I wanted this other thing, you know, but sometimes when you bounce ideas off of people that are close, close to you that aren't as close to the project, uh, it might help you flesh some of that out. (laughs) Oh, dude, that was a valuable, very valuable two weeks that we went there. Um, Did that change, but that didn't change your overall story, right? No, the plot, the plot is essentially the same. The idea though, is that it's actually a richer world because I'm not trying to hold up this archaic framework within a future setting, which is something that I was trying to play with, which I just don't, it wasn't necessary for, for the plot and the structure actually is better now, I think. So I want to go back to when Nick mentioned his like dark fantasy tale of Cinderella right now, you know, the Cinderella plot um, can it would for some people who don't know the story of Cinderella, they could be um, surprised unless you are familiar with the story and know the background of the story. Right. So, let's go back to like thinking about the order in which um, information is given. So here is like, we could start with the stepmother story presenting her treatment of Cinderella as like the only logical and reasonable choice. Then we can do the princess story, giving his view on the bride picking ball. Then we can go through like the fairy godmother's uh, version as she sells Cinder as she gets uh, Cinderella ready for the ball. Then we have the other stepsisters' view of what happens at the ball. Then we can get another view um, from, say, the prince's bodyguard, where they see this mysterious woman. Then we could get the uh, viewpoint at the end of the wedding through a slightly worried queen, the prince's mother. Like, is this just um, happening because it's the excitement or the mystery of this person? Right. So um, with those like kind of different viewpoints mixing in the story, even if someone wasn't familiar with the uh, Cinderella fairy tale, um, that would still leave an air of mystery right? Like the story would still work. The plot would still work. Um, The structure would just be different. It's almost like having an Easter egg for people who know the story of Cinderella and then seeing it flipped, you know, which I find that really interesting. So it gave me a lot of thought about like, how can I flip things around to make things have like an extra dynamic, if that makes sense? No, absolutely. Um, and I think too, with that, that that's why when you're thinking about viewpoints too, it's very the viewpoints that you choose can affect the structure as much as um as much as anything. Because like in the Cinderella example, the viewpoints that uh, Will gave it keeps the story very like focused and centralized on Cinderella, whereas it pulls to say you changed it up and the queen's word because the prince marrying some random village girl is going to mess up an alliance with another nation. And you switch the viewpoint of this person in the other nation. Now it's become a much wider story because you've chosen these different viewpoints and the structure demands something different now from the story. Where, so it's like the, all, all, I mean, ultimately all of this ties together for, for the best kind of storytelling. Like it's, it's so hard to, 
you can break it up, but when you really dig into it, like cause structure structure informs theme too. So like in the end, think about um think about Avengers Infinity War. What if it had not started off with that scene with the Asgardians getting killed? It may not have in that scene, starting off with that scene and immediately tells the audience, this is a darker movie. This is we're we're dealing with darker themes. Now imagine how much different the movie would have been if you, they started off with a snap. You don't know what happens after the snap. It just stops. You get the snap, and then it then it jumps to the Asgardian scene. You get a very different story. Now it's like, oh, what the what the fuck are we building up to? We don't know what's happening, but we know Thanos gets what he wants. So you know, it, it, they theme the what what you're pulling out for the audience, what you want them to, what you want them to feel. Structure is very is a very very powerful tool for like the emotions that you want to take your audience through. Yeah, that's a really good point about Avengers Infinity War. That's a good one. Um, so I think after like, you know, talking about this and like reading over the outline that I gave today, like what do you hope um, our listeners will take away from this episode, Nick? So my hope is that you become more intentional with not just your plotting, but your structure and how you want to tell the story and actually like outlining it out. I like that Marshall. Yeah. I think, I think a lot of what we've kind of been talking about um, as far as structure goes um, ties it to, and I like Bren's example from a second ago ties it to tone and voice and, and POV and and keeping those in mind can really inform your i don't know what's going on with my voice but it can really inform the the you have your plot but those other choices are what informs your how that story comes across and those are like nick said intentional things that we have to consider but at the same time you can fuck with those Every which way, right? I mean, we had what eight different versions of Cinderella today. I mean, and that story, I like. I like Brent's. I like that it's this this wide kingdom view political thing. I think that's badass. I don't really care about Cinderella, and I'm a Disney guy, but that's a different thing. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I just want to see your face. Um, but anyway, I think it's intentional, like like Nick said, and I do like the idea of the structure, kind of sort of being tied to POV and, and, and voice choices and character choices. So that's my, that's what I want people to take away from this, considering those things. Brent. Um, I would say, I hope if anything, you just take away that um, nothing stands alone when you're constructing a story, everything weaves together. And, and if you mess with one thing, you, you may very well be messing with a lot of things in the story, but that's not to say don't experiment. Play around, have fun. You may find that in the in their experimentation, you find that oh, this is actually cool. This is a better way to tell the story, and and it's okay to start telling your story one way and realize you need to tell it another way. You don't have to stop. Just change it. Just keep going. You know. So um, yeah, play around, have fun with it. Uh, I mean, I'm not gonna lie. Most of my stories are still chronological for the most part. Because it is a skill. It is a skill and you do have to, you know, you do have to t- exercise and then try it out. But um, yeah, if anything, have fun. Experiment. And I hope everyone just, I don't know, thinks of something about their piece that, you know, they look at the structure and, and think about, you know, how can I change this up? How can I have fun with it? I'm really into the, I really like what's really made me been like really hitting the ground writing lately is that I have to remind myself that I want to just play. And sometimes you need to give yourself like uh, allowance to just play, you know, and not worry about when things are going to get done. Even if you have a deadline, I get it, but try to play as much as you can and um, give yourself permission to, um, play with structure and play with your plot within that structure. That's what I hope uh, everyone takes away from this. So I would say 
It's a really great stopping point. But there's a few things I want to remind everyone who's listening. Brent has a book coming out in the fall that we're going to put it in the show notes. So pre-order it. Um, get those numbers um, up so that way uh, he makes so much money off of this book. Uh-huh. I get a house out of it. I mean, that's uh-huh. ultimately what it's about. Okay, we all, we all I need multiple houses. Okay, yeah. Okay? yeah. Rock would be very happy if you did if you get bought right. that contract again. Jesus, listen, hey, hey, hey Brent. Am I my twenty books I ordered? Is that one box coming to me, or is that twenty individual <laughs> boxes? 20 different. I don't know. Maybe one. I don't know. I could ask Dave to make it one. If he could um, make it one box, that'd be great for my shipping. Yeah. <laughs> I, I hope he could just do one. Yeah. I'll talk to Dave. Yeah. I got my two books. I got my two books like each time it in came in thing. two in one thing, yeah. I believe. So it's probably going to be both. Yeah. Um, it's like a logistical thing, though. So, you know, pre order that because um, we are going to have a special episode where. Uh, we'll do a deep dive into the book and uh, it's going to be spoiler filled, but we'll make sure it's been out for a little bit. It's chronologically structured. I'll just put that up. <laughs> spoiler, so we're super excited about that. Um, Marshall and Nick, do you have anything to add? I was going to say, speaking of books, uh, next episode, we're going to start chatting a little bit about Never Say You Can't Survive. Is that correct? Yes. If people yes. if people want to get a head start on reading that, because Charlie Jane Anders' book is amazing, and we can't wait to dive into it. So, but other than that, uh, no, I ain't got nothing else. Nick, oh, patreon.com have- slash um, just keep writing. Support the show. Was- give us some money if you want. We we sorry we missed a month, but uh, summer was crazy. We're, people, summer was crazy. We're gonna and we'll we'll have an extra episode somewhere down the line because in July we did have a episode, but also everyone sometimes you need to like go have fun and like live your life and experience things. It's okay I that recommend. we took a break. Yeah, you know, some of us had you know too many things people and things to do. <laughs> so um, I like I brought that back. Good stretch. That's our episode. <laughs> All right. (laughs) And this has been Just Keep Writing, a podcast for writers, by writers, to keep you writing. You can find us at justkeepwriting.org. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Feel free to reach out to any of us on our social medias, and please jump in our Just Keep Writing Discord channel. Links to all of that is in the show notes. Lastly, please support our show by going to patreon.com slash justkeepwriting. We offer daily writing prompts, early access to podcast episodes, and much more. Thanks for listening, and just keep writing.